If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. I'm delighted to introduce our guest today, Lisa L. Rainey, who's formerly Hislop, is a long-time equestrian a United States Equestrian Federation senior S judge and the owner of Wellington Insider Tours that we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. She was born in Florida, raised on a family farm which focused on breeding Arabians. Lisa began riding at the age of three and was introduced to, the age, to dressage at the age of 13 where she went on to win multiple USDF regional championships, reserve championships, as well as receiving U.S. Dressage Federation Horse of the Year, National Reserve Championships and Breed Division Awards. Lisa's a USDF bronze, silver and gold medalist, in addition to holding bronze and silver freestyle bars. She resides and trains at a farm in Oak Hammock Farm in Loxahatchee, Florida, and her current mounts include Devon, who's a nine-year-old Dutch warm blood mare that she bred herself, to Lauren, a 13-year-old Oldenburg mare, bred by Lloyd Langkamer, and Bullseye, an 11-year-old Dutch warm blood bred by Dr Harrison. How are you today, Lisa? I'm great, thank you. Great. Lisa, well, normally we start off with a favourite quote. What have you got for us? A favourite quote? Yes. For me, it's not so much a horse-oriented quote. Uh, my most recent favourite quote is, never grow a wishbone where a backbone ought to be. Yes, okay. Now, would you like to talk about how you've come to get that quote and what it means to you. I came across this quote um, reading a book, and for me it rang so true because often we get caught up in our, our wishes and our dreams and fantasies and we don't necessarily buckle down and do the hard work to mm -hmm. get to those dreams. And while those dreams are important, it's equally as important or more important to get the hard work in there and uh, – Get the foundation. Yep, yep. So so you've got to decide on your destination, I suppose, which is where the dreams are, but then you've got to actually take steps to go towards that destination. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, Lisa, we already know about how you started with horses. You started as three. But what I'd like is do you have like an early memory of horses? You know, sometime when maybe the horses seemed enormous, maybe there was something that, you know, there was a particular emotion that you thought of. Have you got something like that for us, a bit of a story like that? I was the stereotypical horse-crazy child, everything. I didn't have dolls. I only had horses. I had this, this little toy stable, and all my horses were in the stable at night, and all the dolls were all piled in a, in a basket together, some with missing potty parts. <sighs> so I was clearly all horses all the time. And my mother, much to her chagrin, was often telling me to get off my hands and knees because I was wearing all the knees out of my jeans, <laughs> crawling around on my hands and knees being a okay. so, okay. But uh, I had one of those little spring 
it was on a frame, little plastic horse that, yes. that was on four springs that you rocked on. And my mom said I would rock on that horse until I fell asleep. <laughs> and then just before I'd fall off, I'd wake up and start rocking again. So wow. Wow. I okay. guess kind of <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Now, Lisa, tell us about, because normally I ask what made you decide to have a career with horses, but you've got a particular unique niche within the horse market and I know there's lots and lots of niche areas within the horse market it's not just if you're going to work with horses will you have to become a stable hand and never get paid any money and you know always work very long hours there's lots of different areas within the horse niche and I'd like to talk to you because you've got Wellington Insider too is what gave you the idea or what made you think about starting a business like this because it is a unique business it is unique, and what led me to the decision to start the business was my own travel mm-hmm. and seeking out different travel things for myself and realizing as a single person traveling, um, what would appeal to me would be things that I'm interested in. So I looked at different tours from the craziest, most expensive things like river cruising down to kayaking on a river in Utah. Yep. And what they all had in common was they were very specialized to an interest. And we are so blessed here in the Wellington, Florida area that we have an amazing winter circuit that includes the show jumping, the dressage and the polo. And they winter here and it grew very organically out of polo people coming originally and then their wives and girlfriends accompanying them with their own horses and starting competitions so that they would have something to do all winter long. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a very unique community and it struck me that here's something that horses around the world would really enjoy coming to see in such a concentrated span of time and location. Yeah, yeah. and you being a local are going to have access to all the right places to go and you'll know about all the side events because there's a lot of side events, isn't there? You know, like you hear the actual competitions, but it's the side events that you'd have access to as well. There's a lot of side events as far as uh, different parties and opportunities to see uh, special events focusing on maybe a a very special horse being uh, retired maybe or just a party for somebody that's putting on something about an award. So, yes, we have different things within the hunters and the jumpers. Um, Each Sunday is a polo um, final for the tournament that's been going on all week, and those vary by, you know, level of polo play and the teams that are playing. So it's very hard to come in as as just somebody showing up they would not necessarily know where to stay and necessarily which doors to step through for the most exciting things to see in a weekend yeah so we got that going on yeah now you see a lot of people that work within the industry you know right through what do you think you need to have a career with horses what particular character traits or core skills do you need well i think it depends on if your goal Working within the industry and you're not a hands-on horse person, say you're more geared toward the tax shop or say a company that does horse insurance. Yep. Uh, so depending on which direction you're going to go, if you're going to be more of a, a white collar worker and sit behind a desk, yep. 
Um, obviously, education is going to be very important. And certainly, I would say whether you're going to be hands-on with the horses or not, start very early and talk to as many professionals in the area you're considering going in and see what they think. And I think most horse people are very genuine people and very willing to talk about their own careers and their own experiences and share. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's good. And I think that is a good one about talking to professionals and just getting their idea on, on what they think. Yeah, yeah. What do you think then? And you've spoken about it as well. You know, if you're doing the hands-on stuff with horses or you're doing the stuff that where well, you've got to have the knowledge with horses to work in a tax shop and to, you know, to do your customer service correctly and even the horse insurance. But what do you think is the best thing about working within the industry, whether it's the hands-on horse stuff or, you know, as you said, the white collar stuff that you still need to have that horse background for? I would say the best thing about working in the horse industry is the variety of people that you run across um, and their own personal needs and relationships with their horses. Mm -hmm. And basically trying to really understand which which is the case for each person because you may just be dealing with somebody who has a pet and trail rides at the at the most and then you have people that are maybe wanting to be at the Olympics or have been at the Olympics. Yeah. So you do see an amazing variety of people from lots of different walks of life even though your your focus is the horses the horses do attract a huge uh, population of people it's surprising that way. It's funny, it just tweaked to me because people do talk about, you know, obviously the best thing about working with horses, particularly the hands-on stuff, is the horses. And people talk about the people, you know, the people that you meet within the industry, but it's that common thread of the relationship with their horse. So if you're going to talk about your relationship with your horse, I'm going to understand straight away what you mean. You know, and it's that common thread and common bond, isn't it? Exactly, Mm -hmm. yes. Lisa, tell us about, because, you know, I'm thinking about yourself now as a dressage rider coming through, and it may be that you talk about a coach or a mentor that's influenced you with your dressage career, you know, going through as a competitor and a judge, but I'd also like you to think about another person who might have influenced you to make business decisions. So can you tell us about two mentors you might have had or two people who've influenced you and helped you in your career? Yeah, um, from a business standpoint, I have to say I've probably found more advice in the business aspect of it now in my career versus when I first started. Okay. Would have been much more helpful earlier on. And probably the biggest area I could have used the most guidance in was in customer relations. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not a typical business in that you come into my store and you pick up the saddle and you buy the saddle or the brush. You're bringing your horse, which in a lot of times is the equivalent of somebody's child, and you're entrusting it into my care and its future education in my skills. And sometimes when things aren't going quite the way they should, oftentimes it's just a communication. It's not even that we're on two different pages. And I think finding a good mentor from that aspect, if that's not your best skill set. So I've actually found a lot more professionals that I can relate to and talk to now. And probably one of my best ones is my other judge friend, Sue Buchanan, Mm -hmm. um, who 
very good horse agent, sales agent. And um, so she's been very helpful uh, from a business standpoint. As far as a training mentor, uh, early on, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with a student of Nuno Oliveira's. And I know Nuno spent quite a bit of time in Australia. Yes. And his, his student, Bettina Drummond, is now a friend and a mentor to me. And while we're very close in age, I'm certainly her perpetual eternal student. And uh, my relationship with my horses has changed tremendously. And not that I don't still focus on the competition. It's just my training approach is much more personal to each horse and each horse's own development versus what the show ring expectation is for that horse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. that's something I hold very close personally and I don't take it necessarily with me when I'm judging because that's not necessarily what the judging hat requires. I think I offer a unique view as a judge because of my relationship with Bettina, but uh, I do try to keep, it's kind of like your closest personal relationship with maybe your spouse. It's not something you necessarily share Mm, with other mm. people. So my relationship with my horses is something I I keep fairly personal um, to myself. What is it, do you think, that Bettina has said to you or taught? You know, if you're going to be teaching someone about having a a better relationship, a closer relationship with their horse, what would you say to them? I'm just thinking about a, a bit of a change in mindset or something that you're going to say to someone to make them a bit more aware of that personal relationship between them and their horse. I would say the best advice is to trust your instincts. So your own instincts are going to be based on your relationship with that horse, which will over time be the longest relationship that horse has. So whether it be a trainer telling you something, a judge, a coach, a veterinarian, if your gut instinct is this isn't right for my horse, Mm -hmm. I would say don't ignore it. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily assume that they know nothing and they're wrong. I would just say I would have an open conversation with the professional involved. And I would say, you know, in my experience with my horse, I'm not feeling that's necessarily going to be the most official. And you are the horse's advocate. Ultimately, if that horse is yours, that is your job is to advocate for that horse's welfare. Yep. 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 Just thinking about horses and having that relationship Which horse do you think has helped you, influence you the most within that thought pattern or, you know, changed your mind about that? Well, I've been really, really blessed and had some amazing horses come through my hands and heart over the years. Probably the the mare that I have photographed with me on my Skype picture here, um, the Oldenburg mare, DeLorean. She's lovely. It's a lovely photo. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And she's such a fun horse, but being a mare, she definitely has her own opinions about things. And she has forced me to have to explore certain aspects of my riding that as I've gotten older, um, you know, it's natural to get a little stiffer in your body. You find certain weaknesses that are a little more challenging than others than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So I've had to explore strengthening parts of my body and to get more relaxed in other parts of my body to be a really good rider with that horse because she is so sensitive 
it forces me to be in a lot more control of myself, not necessarily control of her, because when I control myself, whether it's an emotional control or a physical control, that I find that the horse's relationship is much easier. Yeah. And that would be her for sure. Okay. Okay. That's good. What do you think your proudest moment's been with horses within the horse industry? I would have to say the obvious is, you know, the first time you win at a CDI or your first national championship that you win, those are great moments. But the proudest, I have to say, was probably my first student winning her first national title (laughs) and subsequent students winning their national titles. It is, I, I don't have children of my own, but it must be what parents feel. And um, I've recently had the opportunity to bring a young boy into the fold of of dressage, though he's doing the Western dressage. And he did his first show recently. And, you know, he was a real trooper. And that made me proud that he he stepped up to the plate. So, again, it's like being somebody's mommy, I guess. Yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. Now, I want to go back to the tours that you do, you know, Wellington Insider Tours. And thinking about other people, because there's other people around the world that are going to have their own area where they might be being in like West Palm Beach, that sort of, you know, world-renowned just of the competitions and the circuit and everything there. Yes. But just thinking about people setting up their own horse business, what do you think's been the hardest, the biggest challenge to get to where you are now? I think the, the biggest challenge that one has to decide is – do you want to have your own facility? Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable working out of either a private facility, such as maybe you have a sponsor that provides you with a facility or you, you know, rent a small facility from somebody else yep. or you're in a public barn where you rent a block of stalls. I would say that's one thing that you really have to work out for yourself. The second thing would be, how are you positioning yourself in your market? Are you, I think probably the greatest weakness we have in the United States, and I can't speak to Australia, I'm familiar with more with Europe, and that is, it seems they have a much uh, clearer system of, you have your breeders, and then you have the people that buy the young horses and break them, and then those people that break them then send them to the next person that develops them further. Um, Here in the United States, you kind of have to be all things to everybody and that makes it a little hard to stay focused on what your own goals are. Um, I think if you're very good with young horses, then you should definitely market yourself as a good young horse starter. If you're very good with teaching children or beginners, then you should carve out your niche for that. And then I would say make relationships with professionals around you that take people to the next step in their riding and then, you can feel comfortable referring people on to the next level with somebody that you know and trust to maybe be a good match with that particular horse and rider. Okay. Okay. All right. Now thinking about the specifically now the tours, what's the biggest challenge with, with the tours themselves, with organising the tours or putting the tours together, you know, because that's a business decision as well. So you've got you know, your own stables, but but these tours, what's been the biggest thing to slow you down or to wonder, you know, how you could get as big and doing as many tours as what you do? What, what do you think is the biggest challenge there to get started? Well, the tours, 
they were a little challenging to get going in that I had to locate a hotel property and I had to find the transportation because what we want to be able to provide is the minute you land at the airport, we basically handle all the details for you. So you don't have to worry about being at this place at a certain time. And Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest hurdle has been getting the word out because I have a small budget and um, finding the right audience of people and word of mouth and opportunities like here talking with you have been my way of promoting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically a startup. We did some very small tours in 2017 with just some invitees and you know getting some feedback that way. And last year was the first year we offered it opened up to the public. But you know, though I had inquiries, I didn't get anybody to sign up. But every year we learn a little bit more. Yep. And um, so when we do have our first full tour, we'll uh, have a fabulous time. Mm-hmm. The easy part is getting people to the venues because we're either hauling horses there or I'm judging <laughs> there. Yes. So that's like going into my backyard. So it's no yes. big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Is that you know every, you know, you know where to go and what to do, and you're not sort of going into a strange city and trying to find things. You're this is your backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So for people going in and starting their own business, it's own horse business. What do you think is the common setback that people don't take that step and go into take their own business? What do you think is the biggest hurdle there? I would say. The, the biggest hurdle or, or shortfall that I see people encountering is most of these people are younger mm-hmm. and they either wait too long, so they stay somebody's working student or assistant trainer for too long, yep. or they jump out there too soon and they really don't have the skills. And this, again, is maybe unique to the United States, but they want to hang out their shingle as a trainer and they have very little experience and those of us who've been at this for a long time just kind of look at them like, you know, you're taking people's money, so you better be able to provide a product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I say make sure you take the time that whatever it is you're representing is your skill set, you truly feel like you have the skills that you're offering the general public. And uh, again, I don't know what Australia does. We do have some instructor certifications here in the United States. They're not particularly strong, but uh, that is a route to go. For me, myself, I chose to get the judge's license to add credibility to myself as a professional early on, but you have to have writing requirements here in the United States. So if you don't have the writing minimum requirements to apply for the license, you're going to have to wait for that path. So credentials, definitely make sure your credentials are there. Yes, yes, okay, because then you've had to meet a minimum level of competency to get that credential. Yep, yep. Absolutely. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now, have a look, horsechats.com. Lisa, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? You know, one that's helped you along your path, one that's helped you um, and one you can put out there to recommend. Well, my favourite book to recommend recently is Racine Explains Boucher. So if you're in the dressage world, 
Boucher was a gentleman that lived in the 1800s and uh, had, did the Boucher flexions and everyone's seen the Boucher snaffle. But uh, it's a very interesting book from a training standpoint because he does a very good job of delineating the German system from the French system and explaining the, the general basic uh, where they bifurcate and they go down different paths. And mm -hmm. it's a very good book visually. And as a visual learner, I appreciated his, uh, his imagery that he used. It was very easy to understand. I would say get as many old books as you can. Because you've gone through the book. What are the basic takeaways, do you think, that do define the German system to the French system? Uh, the one Rassinet explains that I think is best. The Germans send the horses forward and then through the lever actions of the horse's body. So if you think of different body parts as being a lever, so the neck is a lever, the back is a lever, the legs are a lever. So they send the horses forward and then they try to lever the horse through force, sometimes through their upper body, into a certain balance. Mm -hmm. Whereas the French, they want to balance the horse's levers and get the horse balanced and then slowly produce the forward mechanism and if the horse goes out of balance, they bring the horse, they slow it down or bring it back to the halt. That said, I think that it's important that you realize those systems were developed for the types of horses that they were riding 200 years ago. Yep. So the systems are not unique to the country or to the mentality of the rider. Some, in some cases, it's unique to the horse that you're trying to train. That goes back to have your credentials um, I'm always fascinated when I run across a young rider who uh, says, well, I've done this, this, and this, and we start talking about different books, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, go back, read De La Gagne, Ecole de Cavalry, and just, you know, really go back to the masters and read the masters and, and have an idea. And whether that master, that could be Tom Dorrance yep. and Ray Hunt, I mean, if the Western thing and Western, certainly the Western guys have something that translates well to the English writing because you'll learn in the book that Racinet wrote that American cavalry manual was based on Beauchet principles. So we actually have in our own history of writing in the United States, the French writing school. <laughs> so, yep, yep. you know, it's fascinating way to tie the history of writing into current day training methodologies. So, yes. yes. Be well-read. Yeah, I, I think, Lisa, that's um, something that I think could expand out. I'm sure you've got a lot of knowledge through that, so I think that would be great to um, to talk about another time as well. Yeah. Lisa, what are you looking forward to now? What do you, you know, say the next 12 months, two years? You've got three horses in work, so tell us a bit about them. Well, um, Devin, I've got for sale. Um, Bullseye, I may sell, and I have another horse that I've added to the group since that was written, yep. um, a gelding uh, that was uh, found for me by Bettina yep. in France. Um, he's a bit of a project. He was seven years old, uncut stallion in a field of stallions and unbroke. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a challenge. Yep. Um, and we're in a summer rainy season here. So I just was fortunate enough to build a portion of my arena is now undercover. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to having a cover to ride under this summer when the rains are coming yes. down. Yes. But I have 
through my recent uh, separation and divorce, uh, put a little bit of my horses on the back burner. So I'm looking forward to getting them all fit. And I did get to compete Devon through Intermediate One this year. She's schooling all the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And again, just exploring my own subtleties in my own riding. And I took up ballroom dancing and they are fascinatingly similar. Mm-hmm. The difference being instead of a horse pulling on the reins or flipping his head, you have a person saying you're leaning or you're pulling. <laughs> you're like, yeah. so the human feedback loop is really, really neat to yeah. be able to be like, oh, and then realizing when you get on your horse the next day, you're like, wow, I do that when I ride too. Yes. So helpful information uh-huh. that way too. But it's, it's really my, my thing I'm looking most forward to is exploring more with Bettina, um, some of the subtleties of the action of the rider's seat and back and things that you don't necessarily see being explored in the competition riding because of the expeditious nature of, I have to go to this letter and I have to do something at this letter. Mm-hmm. When you're at home, you can explore what did or didn't come through in the communication with the horse in a more subtle way, which I don't know, maybe that comes with age. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking, you know, and, and sort of mixing the two. With the tours, do you, because, you know, I'm thinking that you go and, and you are there as a tourist, you know, as a holiday maker, do you offer then the chance to have lessons to ride as well? If somebody wanted to stay after the tour okay. and stay a couple of days longer, Sure. which a lot of people want the opportunity to horse shop because there's a lot of horses to see. Yes. That's certainly a possibility. I maintain a lesson horse. Not a lot of people do mm-hmm. with a client's horse here at the farm, but uh, I will also be with the tours during the dressage portions and some of the other hunter jumper stuff talking about what the judges are looking for, what's being rewarded, where the judges specializing uh, and saying this is weak and needs to be better. Um, so that that will be an opportunity for them to basically sharpen their own eye mm-hmm. so that when they go and they're watching, they, they really are more educated on what's going on with the scoring yep. and the expectations. Yep. Okay. So. Hmm. All right, then now just in a couple of sentences, would you be able to just summarize your philosophy with horses? Philosophy with horses, Mm. probably Nuno's, several of the other masters is expect, what do they say, do more and expect less or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically with horses, I think your expectation of their comprehension has to be pretty small and you have to really, really observe to see that the horse is starting to get it because horses are very good once they understand the direction you want them to go in but most people fail because they want the hundred percent answer from the horse it's like the horse the first time is going to maybe give you a two to three to five percent reaction that they think they know what you want and if you are quick to encourage that then you will go faster to that hundred percent final response from the horse So I think, again, it's about ask and expect little Mm -hmm. and then build on that small, that small dawning or that little spark that the horse flipped an ear back and said, I think, I think I know what you want. And then you go, okay, let's go down that path. So, yes. Okay. Lisa, how can people contact you? 
uh, wellingtoninsider.com. Yep. Or my farm website, oakhammockfarm.com. Uh-huh. Uh, they can contact me either way there. Okay. Or they could go to horsechats.com slash Lisa L. Rainey or just go to horsechats.com, search for Lisa, or they could search for L. Rainey, but search for Lisa L-I-S-A is probably the easiest and they'll find your contact details there as well. Lisa, thank you. The niche that you have within the industry is certainly unique, but I enjoyed talking to you about your thoughts on dressage on horses and I particularly, you know, I'm interested in talking to you a bit more about the history of dressage because I think you seem to have quite a lot of knowledge there as well. So thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 